Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. On the 24th of September 2021, we got some news that I don't think anybody was expecting that Russell T. Davis was returning as executive showrunner of Doctor Who. We're quite excited about this here at Podcasting House, so we've decided just to do what everybody else is doing and do a reaction episode. And the reaction is, woo Yeah! I think it's safe to say that the entire internet convulsed with joy. I haven't seen a single derogatory comment. I personally am delighted. Dr. Exton, what do you think? I am absolutely made up about it. I really, really hope that he gets the opportunity to show run for Jodie Whittaker before she leaves, to give her a script where she can actually demonstrate just how good a doctor she can be. Because we've seen bits of it in her in her own shows, but she's had such a terrible showrunner that all we've seen is potential. I'd have to agree with that. I think it would be very, very unlikely that we're going to see any episodes with Jodie Whittaker, with Russell T. Davis at the helm. Incoming but isn't producer. he doing the anniversary? Well, I was coming to that. It's a bit uncertain at the minute as to whether he's going to start with the anniversary special or a series and then the anniversary special. Either way, I couldn't give a toss. It's good news. It would be unthinkable that you'd have an anniversary special without one of the doctors. And I really can't see it. She seems, she comes across as the most, the nicest person. So I can't imagine she's going to, even though she'll have only just left, I can't imagine she's going to turn it down if she's asked. I'm with you on this. I am looking forward to hearing her get some good dialogue. The potential there, brilliant. But I haven't seen anything, no comments of any kind. Bear in mind, this is Twitter. I've not seen anybody saying anything that's remotely, oh, really? Yeah, everybody's delighted. It comes across very much as a... Relief. No, I was going to say... Well, yes, it does. But it, it comes across very much as sort of, well, you've royally fucked that up, so Daddy's going to have to come and sort it out for you. <laughs> Yes, can't, and, and, can't deny and that. And Uncle Stephen is going to help him do it. So all over Twitter there is RTD and Stephen Moffat sort of bouncing quips off each other and Chibnall isn't in there at all. And I believe that isn't Stephen Moffat coming back as a writer during this? I don't know whether that's just a Twitter wish. There's been a lot of false tweets. And I did see one that the 60th anniversary is going to be co-written between Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat. Frankly, I can't imagine a bigger nightmare for the two of them than that. You have got two forces there. Co-writing an episode with them two. I'm not sure that's going to work for them. In theory, it should be the biggest, most beautiful melting pot in the world. I'm just not sure. But anything that Stephen Moffat wants to write, because he's always been a superb writer, bring it on. 
The most telling thing is that Chibnall has been absolutely silent on this. I think the fact that they have effectively pressed the panic button, because as any number of people have come out of the woodwork and volunteered to be executive producer, these are big names. There's, um, who's the Babylon 5 chap? Michael Straczynski? Straczynski, yeah, JMS. But they've just announced a reboot of Babylon 5, so he's a bit tied up with that. Oh, so it's a win-win then. It's not yeah. a, a loss either way. I was never a fan of Babylon 5, but I, I know that a lot of people are very passionate about it. How much of it did you see? None at all. Then if you didn't see any of it, how can you not be a fan of it? No, I don't mean I'm I'm not a fan. I mean, I'm not a fan in that I've never watched it and had the chance to be. That's... Babylon 5 starts slow. You really have to, to push through half a dozen episodes. I saw the pilot originally and I really wasn't wildly enthused. And my boss at the time was a huge fan. And he said, look, watch the first six episodes. If they don't turn you into a fan, there's no point watching. And five episodes in, I was a bit uh, not wildly and then episode six it all just came together and hit me and then i was i was a diehard fan for the next five years but jms will not be executive producing doctor who it's very Yet. telling the fact that they brought russell t davis back to me just confirms that even the bbc have got to admit that it's a royal fuck up yeah and even more so the news they've put out is about the new showrunner, not the new se series that's about to hit. The promotion, the way that the show has been handled over the past three or four years, has just been absolutely dire. You'd barely know it was there. Both of the previous executive producers, they've been all over it. They've mined it for absolutely everything it's worth. With Russell T. Davis, you had all the spin-offs. And I think it's fair to say they were successful in their own right. These were not just Doctor Who knockoffs. They were popular and had their own fan bases. I mean, With unfortunately, Class wasn't particularly successful. I, I really enjoy Class. I, th I think it's the most consistently good of all of the spin-offs. I think Class was Stephen Moffat, though, wasn't it? And that was sort of taken out of his hands. That was just treated appallingly badly. I think it was all put out online first... And then it was put in some graveyard slot on BBC One. It never stood a chance, class. And I am oh. sort of with you on that. There's a lot more going for it than you would be led to believe by the treatment of it. The biggest problem with class is that apart from a cameo from the Doctor in the first episode, there aren't any regulars from the show. If they'd put an old companion in, um, if they'd put Clara in it, rather than the horrible mishmash ending that she got both times around, that would have been great. Yeah. But again, Stephen Moffat, putting that to one side, I mean, that was a, a, the only misfire. But the 50th anniversary, that was, how many countries was that shown in? It was shown in about 90 countries simultaneously. Simultaneously. Yeah, and uh, theatrical release... It's the only theatrical release the Doctor Who's had, isn't it? Uh, no, there was Deep Breath, which I went to see. And I was rather hoping that they'd get into the habit of doing the opening episode of each new series as a theatrical release. I know that they did it in other countries. I think they did it in America for a few of them and yeah. in Germany. And I just thought I it's just... realise just how terrible Deep Breath is. It's not terrible. I really love Deep Breath. I know that we're coming at it from different angles. But whatever you think of the actual episode... It was promoted and pushed as a, a real brand, a vehicle. Uh, this is a potential goldmine here, and I'm going to take it and run with it and see what we can do with it. Chris Chibnall's done fuck all nothing. Yeah, and it's been very much a, we are going to push issues in this. 
but actually not think about them in any depth at all. So you had the two companions of colour, so we must be racially sensitive. But then in the second episode of Spyfall, he weaponizes the master's ethnicity in, in the plot. Um, yeah, which I, I you've got a problem a- with and I don't. I just see that as being... Uh, that was actually one part that I thought you've used the time element of this and the, the period setting and run with it. I don't see it as... I'm not, I'm not saying that it wasn't reasonably clever. I'm just saying that it was badly done, particularly when your big push forward is to highlight issues. Because it wasn't done to highlight the issue. It was just it, it was done because this is a way I can get out, out of this plot. It's very noticeable that when they come across male scientists, Nikola Tesla, it's, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll tell you exactly what's going on and, oh, keep quiet afterwards, hush, hush. And then you get Ada Lovelace and, yeah, look at the shiny men in black thing. We're going to wipe your memory. Uh, yeah, we've covered this ground before and, and yeah. uh, I'd not really thought about it. But, yeah, there's, again different writers doing different things with different companions in different episodes but that is where if you if you're going to have an overarching controlling influence that is where the showrunner executive producer comes in so if you're going to be consistent be consistent and if you're going to be political think about it in a degree of depth it might have been all issues but it was very very surface treatment of issues with with no real thought behind it and this is where the problem comes in with doctor who it's complicated enough as it is you don't need to start twisting and turning with issues because some of the best issues that have been addressed in doctor who and racism is primarily one of them uh, I know there were a lot of other things going on in the Pertwee era, political stuff that was sort of bubbling in the background. But where racism has cropped up in Doctor Who, it's always been a cough and a spit, but you get the message. Move on. So things like Power of Kroll, Battlefield. There was a line in, I think it was Oxygen, where Bill Potts sees this bright blue alien and just stares open-mouthed, and he looks at her and says, you're a racist. So it turns it all on its head. In one line, one breath, move on, you've got the message. That's not what's happened with Chibnall's era. It's been ram, 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 shit, 45 minutes. We've not told the story yet. Blah blah end credits. And that's the problem with Doctor Who. Nobody's watching Doctor Who to learn about issues and be preached at. They're watching for a bit of escapism. There's room for those moral messages to be buried as a subtext, but not front and centre. Um, and the fact that people are watching it for a bit of escapism is actually exactly where it's the best place to put it to get your message across. Yeah, but do it cleverly. Do it in a subtle way, not in a... Fuck me tight, we filmed the TARDIS full of diverse companions. There's not actually room for any guest cast. Yeah, we've got 45 minutes to tell you a story. We've already got four regulars. We've got to land, establish, tell and resolve in 45, 50 minutes. With the best will in the world, you have to be a properly skilled writer to do that. And Chibnall ain't that. Um, Even some of the uh, the later season seven stories or series seven stories where we had the condensed movies, there was too much going on for 45, 50 minutes. They were really tightly packed. And in many ways, that last handful of episodes of that series didn't really work for me. They were too tightly packed. I mean, I don't think you could ever describe any of Chris Chibnall's stories as being tightly packed. No. But filling a TARDIS full of companions and saying, right, tick, 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 we've got all the minorities uh, ticked off there, or a good few of them, 
Right, well, we've done our bit now. We've shown how good and right on and politically correct we are, and these are our values. We don't need to tell a story. We don't need to say, and I wouldn't care. And, the characters are boring. Tell me and, one thing that you can remember about Yaz or, um, you, you know, Graham. Graham's, he could have been so much more. Yeah, and uh, Ryan, the, th- the thing I particularly noticed about Ryan, they made, made a big thing about this. This is the first disabled companion we've had. And yeah, they've given him a disability that has a name, but it didn't impact on a single story, apart from at the beginning where he's a bit clumsy on a bike and at the end where he's a bit clumsy on a bike, yeah. but slightly less clumsy. For somebody who's trying to highlight issues, that actually does exactly the opposite. And there are people who are significantly disabled by dyspraxia. It's not just a name that you slap on things for being a bit clumsy, but that's all that it was in, in Ryan's case. The whole of the Chibnall era is just... And I'm going to call it the Chibnall era rather than the Whitaker era. I have to be honest, that's what I'm doing as well, because I think it's unfair to tar her with that particular brush. When she's given something good to do, she's good. My view has changed slightly. I can't say that I've ever really warmed to her as the Doctor. I don't think that she's... uh, You've said this many times before. It is probably... A lot of it is down to the writing. I don't like the way that she's been dressed. I think that the TARDIS set is terrible. I've enjoyed the cinematography. I've certainly enjoyed the new incidental music. I think that that's, it's given it a whole new dimension, a very modern feel. And the theme um, tune is fantastic, the arrangement wonderful. of it. So I'm hoping that they cling on to Sagan Akinola. I think that he would be a good thing to carry over. I've got a horrible feeling that that's not going to be the case. I suspect Murray Golden's going to come back. It's not a bad thing. I've always enjoyed his music. The incidental music we've had in series 11 and 12 and and series 13 to come, I presume, it's given it a new feel and I've really loved it. I've got to admit that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's been a real high point. That will be the only genuine casualty for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but some of the cinematography, for all that I've criticised the stories, and they are shit, but the cinematography... Things like Ghost Monument, it's a very obvious story. I can't remember a thing about it apart from the direction and the cinematography. And it was all, it was beautiful. It looked great on screen. You can't really escape on style over substance all the time. At some point, you do have to give the viewer something to latch onto. Yes. Well, we have actually had a release date now for series 13. Chris Chibnall's last six-part series, which, I mean, there's been rumours for a while that it's going to be one great sort of umbrella story, a six-part story, effectively. They've called it Flux. I can't Actually, that would really... be really nice if it was well done. He barely manages to write a one-episode story, so I, I don't hold out a great deal of hope for a six-one. That's sort of the problem that I've got. We've not had a trailer as such. We've had a sort of series of publicity stunts, none of which have really landed for me. The sort of poster image is this terrible generic rainbow stripe with the Doctor on it. With some kind of weird Bajoran earring. Yeah, that's it. We've not had a trailer. We've had a sort of teaser thing and some sort of find the Doctor answer phone message that you dial through, presumably on a premium rate number, to listen to a message from the Doctor. They took down all the social media channels as a publicity stunt brilliant it brought it right into the public consciousness but the problem with that is did it it brought it into fan consciousness that's really not the same thing well no we're going to pay attention anyway the main problem 
is that it stamped all over Pete McTie's trailer for the Season 17 Blu-ray box set. That had been released the day before, with a brand new trailer, with David Goodison in costume, in character, as Davros. All that effort, they got less than a day and it was pulled. The cross-pollination between Classic Who and New Who, the branding, is just shot to fuck. And it shouldn't be like that. It should all be one big, glorious thing that they mine the brand across all of the past 60 years. They're not doing it. And every bit of marketing seems to be a complete misstep. We've never had this before. So everything should be a teaser for what's to come. It's actually a disappointment. And how much of that do you think is Chibnall and his hobnail boots going, mine, 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 mine? All of it. I'm not against trying something different, pushing the envelope in yes, different I've heard directions. That about you. Thank you. But there's trying something different, and then there's just, as you would put it very aptly, scribble, scribble, scribble with the crayons. And there's no actual talent doing it. There's no coherent thought behind it. Yes. It's just... This is something different. Yeah, let's do it. It's like one of those horrible, what do they call it, thought camps or, you know, blue sky thinking and all that shit that they do in office training. Is it a brain things. map? Or whatever the hell they call it. The, Mind whoever. map. That's it. It's pissing Tossing on a whiteboard. a thought it's ball a- around and things. Yes. It's, look, Daddy, I did a clever. <laughs> <laughs> and in this case, Daddy is Russell T. Davies. I really want to like it. I really don't want to have a downer on it. We've been told that the Weeping Angels are coming back. The Sontarans are coming back. The Ravages. Now, is it Ravages or Ravagers? They could tie it in beautifully with Big Finish. Which one one are they? We haven't seen them yet. But the ninth Doctor Adventures that Big Finish have just done feature the Ravagers. Brand new. Okay. It's not going to be, but what a lovely cross-pollination that would be. Yeah. I have... I don't like the Weeping Angels coming back. I think that everything since Blink has diminished them. I think it's like The Matrix. Brilliant first film. Everything they've done since has diminished it. And having seen it, you can't unsee it. Flesh and Stone and Angels in Manhattan and all of that may be individually entertaining. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I haven't seen them in a long time. And the thing that we're getting out of the, the randomizer is that there's stuff that I haven't seen in a long time that's actually much, much better than I remembered. Equally, there's stuff that I remember being excellent that isn't. I watched Hyde this week and I, I thought it was fantastic when I first saw it. And on rewatching, hmm. But we'll do that at, a different, at another point. I'm with you on the angels, though. They, they went a step too far for me with the Statue of Liberty. I thought that was just silly. Oh, God, I'm actually thinking about Angels in Manhattan because that's one that we're going to be doing for a randomizer at some point. The only thing I can remember about it is the Statue of Liberty and how stupid it looked. Well, I thought the whole point was that they were made of stone and the Statue of Liberty is metal. Anyway, we we digress. But Um, I would love to get behind Series 13, get enthused for it. But there is that meme of the guy walking along with his girlfriend and he's turning his head back, looking at another girl's arse. And uh, (laughs) it's a great meme. I wish I could take credit for it. It's not mine. His girlfriend is Series 13. He's Doctor Who fans. And the girl with the arse is Series 14. And it's pretty much what we're all feeling. I'm afraid so. (laughs) Oh, it's a pity. I hate being so down on an entire era of Doctor Who because there isn't really another era, another showrunner, producer that I'm that down on. 
There isn't. I mean, there was some towards the end of John Nathan Turner's run, it sort of dipped in the middle, but then picked up again towards the end for fans. Graham Williams, it's it, again, it sort of tailed off towards the end of his era. What? No, listen, hear me out. Series 17. Hear me out. It's, oh, oh, hear me out. out the silliness elements of it are not looked back on especially fondly, but I don't know any other producer that's had this level of consistently negative, negative, negative from the word go. It's not a positive thing being this negative about someone. I mean, that's not, there's criticism and there's constructive criticism. This is just your shit, mate. For the love of God, go! From day one. Don't ever and remember that before. No, I agree. JNT was going to be the example I came on to because he wasn't consistently awful. There was a, a real dry patch in the middle. But he started off with... Oh, he started off with... The, the Leisure Hive, which the I Space trilogy, uh, Leisure Hive... Keeper of Trark and Logopolis. I mean, Megalos is really the only stinker in that his first season. Well, it's less good, but no, I wasn't. Me- Megalos is shit. <laughs> it, it really is. Uh, it was one of my COVID recovery rewatches, and <laughs> you watched that voluntarily. You've always had a downer on it. Yeah, but the problem is when I was recovering from COVID, I really struggled to get out of the chair. So it's what do I have within easy arm reach? And you've seen my my sitting room chair. It's the Doctor Who next to it. So I went through all of the Hartnell and Troutons because they're the top shelf and they're the ones that I can reach without. God, I, I sound ancient, but I, I, he isn't I was not. He is boys and girls. He was just I, ill. I was not well. But yes, I, I rewatched Megloss uh, and it's shit. But I don't remember Leisure Hive first time around. And so therefore I don't remember anything before it first time around. But watching the chasmic difference between Horns of Nymon and all right, I know Sharda's in there, and Sharda's wonderful. I love Sharda. But Nightmare the, of Eden. Nightmare of Eden is so good. No, but I mean more the style of it. Just the way it was all completely tightened up and revamped and refreshed and reinvigorated from one season to the next. Now, stylistically... That's... From one decade to the next as well. There's a massive difference between the, the style of 1979 and the style of 1980. There is, and it must have been, in equal measure, absolutely beautifully delightful to half of the fans and a horrific shock to the other half, as I suspect it was in 2017 from Twice Upon a Time to The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Now, stylistically, I thought that it was a lovely, refreshing change. The music, the visuals, the cinematography brilliant i just didn't like anything else about it i mean i have to say the current theme tune i am really gonna miss because it is wonderful i think my only prediction for well there's two predictions for the future one it is telling that everybody is talking about series 14 more than series 13 <laughs> that, that tells you everything you need to know about the state of things at the minute part of that is We'll be down to the fact that we actually know more about Series 14 than we do about Series 13. All I'm glad about uh, is that the BBC have woken up and realised, or somebody has realised somewhere, time to go, mate. Time to get somebody else in. This isn't working, is it? Now, I believe that the, the sort of the doctrine at the beginning when he took over was do something radical and different. Well, they've certainly done that, but they've bollocksed it up in the process. What I am expecting in Series 13, bear in mind at the time of recording it's not gone out, we don't know anything about it, is what's being referred to on Twitter as Thasmin. 
which is going to be that kiss that we all know is coming. Tick, tick, tick. That's another box. The only thing I would say that I'm fairly sure, I just cannot see it not being the case, the new Doctor, I suspect, will be a black man. The reason for that is that if they go back to a white man, no matter how good they are, and there's lots of very good candidates. There's some names being banded around that I've never even thought of before. Michael Sheen was a fan favorite. I've never really thought about it, but yeah, he'd be bloody perfect. Ben Whishaw has he been never, never thought about it. Michael Sheen's been on the list for at least the last three Doctors. Oh, well, I've never heard that. Chris Marshall, yeah. And uh, who's the other one? Patterson Joseph. Those are the two names that keep coming up with the rations. Can't yes, see either how, of those of the Doctor. How many times has anybody actually successfully predicted? Surely it's never happened. There are people who will because that's what scattergunning does. But have, it, have any of the, the front runners, the bookies' favourites, ever actually got it? I think Peter Capaldi, but that was because there was sort of a last gallop. I think it must have been leaked because he all of a sudden rocketed up the bookies lists in the week leading up to the announcement. So as far as I'm concerned, that one was leaked. But I don't think any of the others have. The only thing I would say is Michael Sheen, he must have been on the list somewhere, of course, maybe, but I've never, I've never noticed it. But he's such an obvious choice. If that's going to win sort of universal praise or appeal, why not go with it? Why go against fan casting, for want of a better word? I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in favour of it because you could go uh, in, in very, very odd directions there. But to go back to a white man, all I would say is, and this is why I'm sort of glad that it's a co-production this time around. It's co-production between the BBC and Bad Wolf, which is uh, Russell T. Davis's production company. It would be a complete admission of failure that diversifying from a white man is a disaster and it fails and we can't do that and they have to go with a white man and just the way the climate is at the minute, I don't think that they're going to do that. Either that, my personal front runner is a black man, I, I just can't see them avoiding that, that there's anything wrong with it but I think now is the time. Or the first openly gay doctor. And since it's Russell T. Davis, that's got to be in there as a possibility. Neither of them bothered me, so long as they can bloody do the job. And they're written well. I mean, they'll be written well. Um, I mean, the, the name that you always see being associated with Russell T. Davis is Ollie... Alexander. It can't. There's no way. Yeah. He looks as though he was playing himself right the way through It's a Sin. And it was what the character called for, but there didn't seem to be any depth Actually. to it. And that may very well have been the point, but it doesn't fill me with confidence that he'd be able to take on the, the role of the Doctor. Uh, not a chance. He's... No, 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 no. I don't think there's anybody would seriously say, yes, he would be genuinely fantastic. No, uh, I, I can't imagine it. And I suspect it's a bit of a gimmick, a, a talking point, smokescreen. This is what we want you to, to start thinking and for the Daily Mail to get all worked up about the fact that we might have a, a gay doctor or whatever. I mean, you're better versed at this than I am. Gay I, actors, no... who would you sort of, who would who could you see that, that you know is gay that would be, sort of would suit the part? I don't really know who gay actors are, really. Um, I mean, apart from the ones who build their career in it, like sort of um, Bloking from Prison Break uh, and the Marvel Universe, Mr. Freeze, who has no acting ability whatsoever. Oh, you've got me with that one. I can't remember what his, what his name is, but he was dreadful. But this is Russell T. Davis, so a gay uh, it will be, actor It will would be not... somebody who can do the job. Mm, it exactly. will probably be a surprise. 
I don't think you can ever predict what Russell T. Davis is going to write because he always comes out with something strange and interesting and good. And, and, and that's what I want, and particularly the good. The one thing that I'd like more than anything else is not to know until the regeneration. Well, that's never going to happen. Wouldn't that be the best? I think I could deal with anybody if that's how it... Because you would be left with a genuine sense of shock. This is the regeneration to end them all. You could have Rusty Lee under there. And, well, that certainly would be a surprise, but you tick all the boxes. But that would be, to me, that would be the dream scenario. A real genuine surprise. But from a marketing point of view, it's not going to milk every second that you can. But because what? they're making such a big deal about of this, because it's a co-production, because you can tell now that something's building, particularly with the 60th on the horizon, it wouldn't surprise me if this time around they pull out all the stops and it's somebody massive. Even if it's just for the 60th anniversary special, like they did with the, the War Doctor. So um, the, I can't the see doctor. them wasting a regenerative form like that, but it will be interesting. What? But they've ignored the number of regenerations. They might cobble together a, a reason for it, but they will always ignore the, the number of regenerations because it doesn't make commercial sense not to. Oh, you I'm talking have... about from a, a narrative point of view and from a, an actual commercial point of view, you'd have the cough and the spit, the George Lazenby doctor. They almost had it with Paul McGann. Now, it's only because of Big Finish and the books and the comics and, thankfully, Stephen Moffat, who's given him a, a bit of closure, that Paul McGann's Doctor is even recognised at all. The War Doctor, for all that the fans know him, I suspect is going to be unknown by the vast, vast majority of the public. And it's a shame. So I wouldn't you, really like to see that repeated, think, if I'm honest. Do you, th do you honestly think the majority of the public knows who Paul McGann's Doctor is? More than you'd think. Only, and I only know that because it's a quiz question I've asked for the past 20 odd years. And Paul McGann is always in there with the rations. It's surprising. Yeah, but do you not think that's trivia that quiz contest goers go to? It's like. Yeah, that's a fair point. The only people who know all the, the unusual chemical elements. So <laughs> antimony is SB, tungsten is W, um, tin is SN. The people who know that are either chemists or people who do a lot of pub quizzes. People who do a lot of pub quizzes know a lot of trivia that they don't necessarily have any interest in other than being able to answer that particular question at pub quiz. Yeah, that's a point. Although at the time, Paul McGann, he was made a big deal of. He was all over everything as the new Doctor Who. But that time was 30 years ago. 25. 1992, and it's now 2021. 96. Was it? Yeah. What happened, what happened in 92? Nothing. Tomb of the Cybermen. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, 25 years, quarter of a century ago, the, probably when the average Doctor Who viewer wasn't even born. Agreed. It is, I think you've made a good point there about the, the Quislings uh, um, being the ones that would remember. You and I but... tend to think of things in terms of the way you look at it as a fan. The majority of people aren't fans, and the vast majority of Doctor Who, when it's properly written, isn't written for the fans. And actually, one of the stories I liked most from Chris Chibnall was the Villa Diodati, where he didn't care what fans thought because he was contradicting some fanfic. Oh, temperature rising. But that is what it is. From the millions of people who saw it, the tiny handful of those that are big Finnish aficionados who would know that there is a another explanation for the uh, for what happened in that house how many of those fans are actually going to turn off how many is it going to make any difference to other than something to whinge about they would still watch oh no i get you i just think that where there's a 
Were there something or a piece of history that's already been laid down in a canon to willfully step over it? Is a li- it's, a, it's the same way as The Great Fire of London. If they did an episode next series where The Great Fire of London, 13th Doctor started it. What about Atlantis? Well, Atlantis, I think you've got three different explanations. But I, yeah. as far as I can make out, they can coexist. With a bit of jiggery-pokery, they can coexist. The thing is that the showrunner there isn't there to cater to fans, which is what acknowledging the validity of Big Finish and the novel's rampant territory marking in a lot of cases. There was an awful lot of, here is this interesting bit of history, and I'm going to stamp my boots all over it and not do anything particularly useful or interesting with it, but I want to be the one who whose name is attached to this. Yeah, but Chibnall's um, guilty as fuck of that as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, no, there's I, good arguments on both sides, you know, territory marking, are you going to really forego a really good story because somebody's touched on it before? I get the the theory behind it just in that one instance, because Villadia Dati was a really good episode. It yes. was one of a handful of genuinely good. There was the Nikola Tesla one. I still really like Ascension of the Cybermen. So do I. Um, um, it was Timeless Children that it all oh. fell to crap. I like Praxius. I like the Saranga Conundrum, although it's a, it's a massive rip-off of Futurama. There are a few that I liked. There aren't any that I loved. There aren't any that I think stand out as a classic. I can't see any of the Chibnall run being anybody. It, it's not going to rock it even into the top 20 or 30. The one time where I think it thought it was genuinely new and interesting was that, and I can't remember the name of the episode, but it was the Eternals, one's trapped in a in a sphere and there's that oh. cartoon exposition bit. Yeah, but the thing that pissed me off about that, there were two things actually. One, there was a bit in, I can't remember, ancient Greece or something like that. Syria. Yeah, it had it nothing Aleppo, to do with the story. It? I have no idea what the hell that was doing in there. But the end yeah, of again, it, territory I mean, marking. But all the way through, you had this really, really good villain. I mean, this is to the point where how does the Doctor get out of this one? There's just no way. And in the end, she literally waves the sonic screwdriver. Poof, game over. Yeah. What the, and the hell? Sonic, the sonic screwdriver has become a tricorder. I just wish they'd do a visitation with it. They won't because of marketing, but I really wish they'd just blast it to atoms for a series or two. Oh, well, they did to an extent, didn't they? They had the sonic sunglasses for a series. And yeah, but it's, it's, the, it's the same thing. It, it, it's the Doctor carrying a tricorder. Uh, yes, but they were used in a slightly different way. It wasn't used to... It wasn't a MacGuffin to get out of every situation, which I quite liked. The sonic screwdriver has become hideously overused in recent years, but that is the only ex- the example that I can think of where it's been the plot resolution. And for a villain that powerful, a situation that desperate, for a quick piff-paff-puff with the sonic screwdriver situation resolved, awful, awful ending to a, what could have been a really good episode. And I, I didn't really want this to turn into another dump on the Chibnall era because I think every retrospective that's going to come forward is going to do that. The one thing that I that was pointed out to me, um, and I hadn't thought of this, is that because it's Doctor Who is now being made by an independent production company, they will take over the rights to it. So one, it doesn't necessarily have to be shown on the BBC, but also two, if they're taking over the rights to Doctor Who, what happens to Big Finish's output? 
I'd be massively surprised if the BBC relinquished the rights. Massively. It is their biggest franchise. I think it's now well, eclipsed. It was. Well, it, yeah, I agreed, it was. But I think at one point it, it massively it dwarfed EastEnders as their biggest product, and they're not going to let go of it. Uh, I don't want them to let go of it. What I want them to do is let go enough that there can be creative control away from this. And I do hesitate to use the term, but woke culture that is now permeating the BBC. I think if it's given to a production company that's more interested in making really good television than ticking boxes, and this is why I'm really, really pleased about a co-production, I think that Bad Wolf are going to temper that BBC woke influence and actually and get back to telling stories. Stuff, they've, they've done Discovery of Witches, they've done um, His Dark Materials. They look brilliant. His Dark Materials is pretty much impossible to make into a, a really coherent story because so much of it is conceptual. I enjoyed it, but how much it would have worked for somebody who hasn't read the books, I don't know. But they they do a lot of really good multi-centered genre stuff. So I think I think they'll do a good job. What you don't know is what Russell T. Davis's price tag for coming back was. True, but it's not going to be cheap. And the whole the whole setup smacks to me of there's a ton of money been hurled at this. This is why I think it's going to be bigger and better. And it's a case of pull but out. That's all not what this. I meant by price tag. Oh, I see what, what you mean. He is going to have tied strings to it. And it may be, the argument is, I will come back and save you, save the program for the complete fuck-up that's happened to it, but I want complete creative control, i.e. the rights. Complete creative control, yes, but I don't think they'll give him the rights. But on the other hand, I don't think... If you're going to give complete creative control to somebody, you want it to be somebody like Russell T. Davis or Stephen yeah, Moffat. absolutely. So I have no qualms whatsoever. I'm not even sure about Stephen Moffat. His later stuff was just so unnecessarily complicated. The middle bits were. I think he got back on track with his last series. Mm. They they were more standalone stories, land somewhere, problem, plot, resolution, move on. And there was an underlying arc, but the series six was massively convoluted. Christ Almighty, Blink and you've missed it. That that was really hard going, even yeah. for devout fans. And I think even I, he recognised that. And I think if you were to give somebody who goes down that avenue of writing complete creative control, which none of the showrunners have had, realistically. There's, there's always been bosses that they've had to work with at the BBC. If you were to give anybody complete creative control, you probably wouldn't want it to be Stephen Moffat. For all that I've loved a lot of stuff that he's done, I think that there would be the possibility that it would just disappear up, up its own ass. But it's not Stephen Moffat that we're, we're talking about. And if he's coming back to write, that would be brilliant. He's wrote some fantastic stuff. Honestly, Stephen Moffat and, and Russell T. Davis, their writing shares the one thing in common. They've got different styles, but it's witty and there's great lines and there's great... you you. Whatever the story is, you know that there's going to be some bloody brilliant dialogue in there. And that has been missing now for the past four years. Dialogue, plotting, anything three-dimensional. And Can a lot I, of, it, of all the companions that we've had, and let's look back over what we've had since 2005. Started out, white man, white pretty girl. Very quickly we moved on to Martha Jones. Interesting, rounded, bolshy character. Very well-defined, lamented, brought back several times in various things, widely revered. 
Then you had Donna Noble, big character comedian stroke actress. Then you had Bill Potts, black lesbian character, tick, 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 one of the best companions we've ever had, paired with one of the best doctors we've ever had. What have you got this time around? Right, well, we've got Indian girl, black lad, middle-aged man, female doctor. Tell me one thing about any of them. Tell me anything about the characterizations. any one moment where they've, they've leapt off screen and think, yeah, that's their moment. It's not. It's all been worthy and dull. They're bland characters. Just because you've ticked the ethnicity diversity box doesn't mean that they're interesting characters. Looking back at what's already been, those are the diverse characters and they've done they've already done something with them. You're ticking over a box with something that's less than's gone before. I feel really strongly about this. I, I, I go off on one whenever I start talking about this, but it annoys me, this push forward, oh, look what we're doing, look what we're doing. It's already been bloody done, mate, and better. I I have to agree. Um, and I'm kind of realizing that the episode is much more about how we're looking forward to seeing the back of Chris Chibnall than we are um, welcoming Ross T. Davis back on board because we actually have no idea what he's going to do. And I mm. quite like the fact that we've got no idea what he's going to do. Yeah. I will enjoy being surprised by Russell T. Davis in the way that I really didn't enjoy being surprised by Chris Chibnall. The final thing that I wanted to say is that this week, RTD has accepted an Attitude magazine award for It's a Sin. And he did the most amazing inclusive acceptance speech, talking, as probably isn't going to be massively surprising, about the people who were the unsung heroes of the HIV epidemic, the people who did the charity work and who looked after the patients. But he then went on to talk about inclusivity, how LGB is irrevocably associated with T. So you can't have just LGB on its own. It has to be LGBT. There was a very clever thing that, that he did where he was saying, why wouldn't you want to be more inclusive? Why wouldn't you want to have more letters? Can you imagine how dull it is if all your conversation is in just three letters? And then he came out with a few sentences where each word terminated at the third letter. And it was absolutely brilliant. And it really magically put his point across. So I would recommend everybody to go and find the clip. It's very widely available of his acceptance speech for the Attitude Awards this year. And if you're having trouble finding it, Louise Jameson retweeted it. And I think most people, most Doctor Who fans follow Louise Jameson because Why wouldn't she's you? Louise Jameson. The scheduling of Series 13 is a little bit interesting, to say the least. It starts on Halloween, the one night of the year when all the kids are out of the house. It's the Sunday at the end of half term, so all the kids will be tucked up in bed slightly earlier than usual to compensate. When shall we start then? What what time shall we put it on? Seven o'clock? Half past six? How about half past eight? So not only is the target audience tired after a week off, they're also tucked up in bed before it even starts. Who is deciding the scheduling on this? And if it's only a six-part series, that means it finishes sort of early to mid-December. It's not even crashing into Christmas. That I can't understand at all. I mean, they're not aiming to do a Halloween special with alien pumpkins or... Who knows? If they are, it's... I don't know, I'd, I'd quite look forward to a Halloween special, to be honest. But 
I wouldn't look forward to a Halloween special written by Chibnall. Well, that was sort of where I was going with that. I dread to think. I really hope Chris Chibnall has taken time to think and reflect and talk to his writing team and comes out with something good as a swan song for his next series because he hasn't done it so far. I'm not holding my breath for it and I'm really looking forward to the rest of T. Davis. And, you know, rather than talking about how much we're looking forward to with Russell T. Davis and what we particularly want to see, because you can't predict what he's going to do. No, no. This has kind of devolved into a tallying of the disappointments of the Chibnall era. We should probably draw a line under it. We probably should. Uh, we've written his epitaph before he's even gone. In crayon. So on that note, boys and girls, I'm going to sign us off. This has gone on slightly longer than we intended it to. But next time, we shall be back with the episode that you were supposed to get this time, which is a full commentary on the Toby Whithouse episode, School Reunion. So thanks for listening, everyone. Hope that you've enjoyed our views of Russell T. Davis coming back and Chris Chibnall bowing out. We'll be back next time. Thank you for listening. Bye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.